Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Ralph. Hey. Um, Is that... What's going on? Um, Almost the end of 2020. Yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm in my sister's basement right now, which I said I wasn't going to admit on the podcast, but it's giving me allergies, so I might have some sniffles. <laughs> I don't have COVID. Would it be taboo I don't have if, COVID. if you're like... <laughs> no, 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 I know Would for a fact. Would it be taboo? I, I, oh, I, have to le- I have to let our listeners know I went in for a test. And, mind you, it's so weird, right? It's similar to the audio sync problem what we were just describing, because we had some audio sync issues last in our last week. episode. I apologize, but... Synchronization of COVID tests is also impossible. So I got tested, not because I was symptomatic, asymptomatic, so I could come over to my sister's house. And um, but I got, and obviously I didn't have COVID. It said negative. But in the, you know, I would need to be tested continuously to prove, right? Like it's a point in time thing. Even by the time I know I'm negative, I might be positive. Who knows? Well, um, it's a it's a reduction of risk. So. Uh... No test is riskier than testing once a month. That's right. And once a week and uh, once a day and et cetera. Yeah, and I, and I had my temperature checked, you know, like all of those things. But um, I feel good, except yeah. for the allergies. So I don't okay. want the sniffles to get confused with. <laughs> is this is like... it is it taboo to say that you, you had a good 2020? Well, I think we're going to do it. Yeah, we're definitely going to do a wrap up on 2020 today. And I, I think it it's kind of, yeah, because some people, I mean, not some people, a lot more people statistically than any other year had a miserable year. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, I, I, uh, I think there's just two worlds. It's like your, your personal world and then the world at large where you look at everything and, and compare how really everybody's doing and... Uh, well, this is yeah. the thing. Like, in, yeah, if you're doing the rat race thing, I'm not saying this is my best year ever, but I'm just wondering. There must be people that just had a great year for some reason. Yeah, I, and then it's not that it's like you can't go to a funeral and say you won the lottery. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. Is I feel like in 2020 we can't really be too congratulatory. Jeff Bezos is uh, you know doesn't deserve our congratulations, <laughs> but I bet he's feeling good about things. Or you know, yeah, it's Tim Cook. it's it's weird. Like he's obviously doing so well because of the pandemic not in spite of it mm-hmm. or he, he's profiting from it but at the same time if they hadn't uh, fulfilled that role a lot of people wouldn't have had the stuff they needed so well actually to fl- you know and to flip it around though i definitely do not want to do this but to a certain extent like just it's not like at a, at a certain stage of like income you don't need any more income and there's just like operational complexity um like the if you were to just judge a company like Amazon, not based on profit, but based on like positive impact in the world, um, maybe they made it easy to get a few things while you're locked down, but they also like destroyed many lives and killed people in their warehouses. So, yeah. Like as far as like human impacts concerned, maybe they had a really bad. Well, year. yeah, I I feel like uh, maybe what I was trying to get at mm. is that there's the personal world and the and the larger world of the world of policy and data mm. and all those things and in this review at least for me it's more about my personal experience and not about the world at large yeah like i'm sure if, I, if, if we're review if you're if we're doing yeah. the year in review if you're a virologist you, you this year has been great like you've been able to study <laughs> like you know even sociology like which is my background i think it's been really interesting like there are ways and and then i think anyone you talk to uh and i think we've talked a little bit about this will say like well, you know, they learned what they appreciate a lot this year, right? Yeah. What's important to them. It's also been the year where everybody became an expert on everything. Mm-hmm. How do you mean? 
Us? Well, no one trusts the experts, <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, if we only did this and this and this, the problem would be solved. Oh, yes. And yes, everybody yes. has a different solution. Yeah, the internet. Everybody's an, an amateur virologist, and et cetera. Maybe it's the year. So, we, you know, we started this podcast in 2015, but, you know, and we thought, you know, a lot of people are podcasting. Who knew that, like, um, you know, everyone would be podcasting? It's like the Andy Warhol thing, you know, yeah. in, a, in a way that, I, you know. Podcasting really blew up this year. Yeah. But I think as a cultural moment, everyone is also podcasting just in their conversations because they're saying they're kind of putting out their op, you know, their op-ed, their their yeah, editorial yeah, in yeah. every conversation, and like I don't believe this, I I think this, and it's yeah. like the shock shock. I, I know is everyone. Now. Yeah, I noticed that um, I kind of have podcast fatigue. Mm-hmm. That I was excited about certain podcasts and they just became repetitive and. I'm, I'm listening less to podcasts than before. That's how I feel about TV. As I was preparing for this, like kind of roundup episode, I was thinking like I have more services and more choice than ever. And honestly, like the things that we've enjoyed the most, you and I this year, have been things that didn't exist, that existed prior to this year. You know, almost nothing new. Like old movies. Yeah, exactly. And I was just asking my nieces, yeah. uh, you know, what's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite thing of the year? And they're like. And they said, no, 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 no joke. In separate rooms at different times, they didn't hear each other. They both said friends. The show in the 90s. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. Interesting. Maybe life was just better. Well, friends seems like if you think about friends in 2021, or no, 2020, but like on the verge of 21, you're like, it seems like such a wonderful, simple, it's like watching like, I don't know if you ever watched like 1950s shows. Like up. I Love Lucy? Yeah, like I Love Lucy or something like that. Like you're it's just like pure ridiculous joy with no like and none, yeah. none of the sociology it's makes escapism any sense anymore. Because yeah. it wasn't ever real. Yeah. Because that that, that apartment in Friends, uh, they couldn't afford it. They're like working in a coffee <laughs> shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then by chance their best friends live across the hallway and, and they all sleep uh, with each other. This, but the, you, did you ever see the Robert Crump uh, documentary, The Cartoonist? Oh, yes. I have no, I haven't. That's a good reco for us to watch. Though. Yeah, but that's a great movie, but Oh wait, yeah, he with talks the, about what's growing... face? um the it's called Crump. The movie's called Crump, isn't it? Didn't they yeah. do a non-documentary yeah. though of it, a drama? Maybe that's what I've seen. Yeah, no, that that's another movie uh about the art school confidential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Ghost World. I think Ghost World he has a role in that. Yeah. Yeah, but my point is that he grew up in the 50s and he talks about it in the movie. He would see these TV shows with this ideal life and with the caring parents that uh, were supportive of their children and everyone did well. And he's like, that's just not what I saw. Like the kids in school and everybody, all the moms were on amphetamines, all the uh, husbands had PTSD. They were all disturbed by all their experiences in the war and they were violent with their children and there was Mm -hmm. drinking. and, And so it... Everybody dressed well, but the things were not well in their heads. But that's what we often talk about on this podcast. We often will yeah. like almost describe value to the how real the product, the entertainment product was. Like how close did reality did it strike when well, the audience? Yeah, that's when you not what think, people want or are consuming. They're not looking yeah. at reality. They're trying to escape it. But did you ever watch Broad City? No, but I yeah. What what about Broad City and specifically? Well, it's just. Two female comedians about life in Brooklyn and life in New York, and it, it's the opposite of Friends. It's not the mm. 
way too beautiful apartment. They just have, uh, I just remember one scene where they have too many roommates and then this girl, the, the roommate, her boyfriend is always there and the girl is never there. So there's a boyfriend who's not paying rent, who's always sitting on the couch and eats everyone's food and yeah. smells and all that stuff. That seems more like realistic New York. Like Not only do you have a bad roommate, right. they, they also have a partner that is just crashing there for free. New York is, uh, I got to definitely watch Broad City, but New York seems like um, it's never quite portrayed as it is. Like gir- the show Girls no. was like... But Broad City seems pretty real. It's like a, a whole episode will be them in the summer trying to find a cheap air conditioner. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the episode. But but maybe my point of the whole story is that Friends is so much more popular than Broad City because mm-hmm. people don't want the real experience. Right. And then the style, you know, is also not real. It's studio produced. But, you know, my favorite shows, even this year, like going back and, and watching stuff, it was Curb Your Enthusiasm stood out like as... Just re- like watching the latest season, I, I refer to it every day. <laughs> it's like, but it, yeah. it's definitely it's shot in this like documentary style. But yeah, it's, uh, especially the first few seasons, they were very raw. Well, except, but the the content is so it's every day, but it's also fantastic. Like in the latest season, he opens the Spike Coffee Shop, and he yeah. uh, you know like makes all these new inventions for the store that improve upon the coffee shop formula. I like the scene where where he discovers. He likes not being disturbed, so he starts wearing a MAGA hat everywhere so that people don't bother him. <laughs> and there, you know how he has the heated mug? He invents, like, mugs that never go cold? Yeah. I actually almost bought yeah. one of those this year. There's a mug called Ember. Kristen convinced me at the uh, last minute not to buy it, but it's, like, it's ridiculous. It's a $200 or $150 mug. You know, they have to update the firmware. USB power? Yeah, yeah, you have to update the yeah. firmware for oh, it. Wow. It does have a battery, so you can take it around with I, you. I, I have to say, Curb Your Enthusiasm was a a very therapeutic show for me in the beginning because I was living in LA and I felt being Dutch and being who I am and always interrupting people and being rude and making <laughs> jokes that are a bit out of line. Definitely in LA. And yeah. everyone was so offended in LA more than anywhere else I've, I'd been. And so I felt like I couldn't really be myself. I left and uh, I remember coming back to the Netherlands. You know how in the in the US every store has a greeter? Mm-hmm. Like a big store is like, hey, how are you? How are you doing? Yes, I'm like, yes, you yes. don't really want to know how I'm doing. That's like that Kirby enthusiasm thing. And then I, I remember going back to Amsterdam and just entering a store. There's no one at the door. And I get to the counter and they ask me, what do you need? <laughs> and I was like, these are my what people. Yeah. <laughs> this what is great. Yeah. 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 But but uh, just seeing Kirby enthusiasm at the time and, and all the scenes where Larry David would say something offhand and then would be disinvited by a whole community. You can't come to dinner. We don't like you, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But now it feels like the last two, three years, that culture of being easily offended and uh, taking jokes the wrong way is, is global. Too so clo- it's, too it's to in help. the Netherlands now too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's often that California culture is, it seeps into the rest of the world. I mean, obviously, you know, my voice on the podcast is one where I, you know, I really believe in listening and, and seeking to understand. And certainly like, it, my, you know, I'm always looking for, you are too, but you know, like we played this, these different voices. I'm looking for the collective point of view versus the, you know, I'm always right. Like I don't, I don't want to be right. I want to learn and grow. Right. That's the, but you know, this year challenged everyone, obviously um, right up until I think, you know, some people would say they went over, we went over the limit. Some people are like, no, there's a lot further to go. Um, 
And I don't think it's actually a matter of like how far we go. It's the speed. And this year, the speed at certain times was extremely high, but it was overdue. And so people are like, no, 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 we got to go further and faster. And but 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 there's a, there's a thing, uh, whether you call it, I think whenever people use the term political correctness, you can replace it replace the term with being respectful. Yeah. So yeah. there's a, there's a good thing about being respectful. So. You don't call somebody a derogatory term if it's not needed. But there's another side where once you're family and your brothers and sisters, you can kind of tease each other and have fun well, and you can let your gut... I think, too. Yeah, but it's it's also intimacy. And, and there's mm-hmm. something uh, interesting about if if you put 100 new people in a room of different backgrounds, you all have to sort of see how... Who can I be? How can I relate? What what kind of humor can I use? Because humor is always kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm hoping that as people get closer together, they're also more comfortable with uh, teasing each other a bit. Where it, I don't know if you're getting what I'm getting no, at. No, yeah, like, no, we've talked if, about this if on you the really, If you really trust each other, yeah. then you can tease each other. But you have to get yeah. to that trust first, and that requires that... People yeah. feel heard, that they don't feel like it's just at their expense, right? It's like a joke where we've talked about that on the podcast too, where it's like if it's not built on respect, then it's actually just mean, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Even just before I got on the podcast, I was responding to a customer email where they, you know, they, we had put out a survey. You know, apparently women entrepreneurs have been hit a lot harder by uh, COVID. So female owned or like women owned small businesses have not recovered at the same rate as male-owned. And I don't actually Why do you wanna, think that is? Well, I don't want to promote a gender binary, first of all, but because um, it didn't no. mention... We didn't, you know, I don't have data on queer-owned businesses, but um, why do we think that is? I don't know, but a customer, you know, kind of wrote in and were like, okay, well, first of all, like, I don't see why you're putting this out. So they position themselves as, as liberal, I should say. And they're, you know, they're looking at our board. It's like... We all, you know, your whole corporate C-suite is is all male and white, except for for one woman. How much is that person paid? And there, those are good questions to ask. But then it was interesting because it hit they hit um, the app and like, you know, five years ago we designed the icon set for the application and our, you know, there's a little clients area of our application and the client icon is a top hat and monocle, and she was referring to it as a gaff. And she she what she's not wrong that it's um, representative of a male stereotype, which is like the capitalist, and um, and so you know I'm seeking to understand and and then but the one thing you know I, I was about to I was responding to our CEO, I was like you know we did that in jest like the idea was tongue in cheek that like the client is this capitalist and of course the client's not a capitalist right the client's often someone that you've built a relationship with but like it, within capitalism can we not make fun of the capitalist mm-hmm. and also yeah. be aware of the problems with it and still participate in it and but this is too much for <laughs> I'm like he's responding to the email but like I was thinking like if I you know I'd like to respond to this person because ultimately like the icons were designed by a woman, actually, Sabrina Smelko, who I worked with five years ago. And we talked a lot about gender while designing them because there was this whole period of time where Facebook was also going through. Remember when they redesigned the little icon of the two figures at the top and 
you know, it looked like two, like a white man and a white woman. Like, so we were having those conversations five years ago. We were trying to be like, well, you know, how do we do something that is making fun of this, the fact that we have to represent a human in an icon, but we can't act. There's so many issues at play in this icon design, because otherwise at the time it was still the debate. You end up with a circle over a semicircle. I'm looking at my Skype window right now. And it's like every human is always portrayed as just yeah. like nothing. Yeah. There's no personality. Yeah, it's been what like, about all the square headed people? Well, how do we include that? <laughs> but yeah, it does remind me of Flatland that way. But you eventually, like I just went through two years of, or three years of rebranding and, you know, your illustration style, all illustration styles had ended up kind of looking the same. And now even more so. You mean the, like those Casper ads? Well, at first they were all like, you know, blue characters. Yeah. And then it was outline characters. Then people were like, where's the skin tone? And then you're like, okay, well then it has to be all accurate skin tones. And that's not wrong. But at that point, like if you were to look at the history of art and representation, you're narrowing the palette with each additional representational step. And I think like as designers, as artists, um, we're really struggling to figure out like, I, I can understand why you're frustrated when we talk, right? Because you're like, well, and I'm frustrated too sometimes because I'm like, well, what is the, well, this? Well, I'm just not a- frustrated on the podcast, but I, I think um, like the podcast is public space. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe, maybe my frustration is that uh, I'm not an expert, so I don't feel like talking about politics, and I feel like a lot of the the problems of our modern world is that everybody thinks they're an expert at everything. Yeah, but I like and, and and sort of this distrust of institutions, and so that my side is a bit like I'm an artist, so I I feel like I can talk about art better than most people, mm-hmm. and I can bring out details and methods and and thoughts. But I, I'm not a, a virologist, so why should I talk about COVID? I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, as a designer, <laughs> you know, artists and designers share a similar space, which is everyone has an opinion of our work and and believes that they could do better, but. I've always thought of that like art school gets you ready for that because in art school, I was just talking to my sister about this. You know, we both went to art school and, and you know, critique is like brutal. Like, you know, you're, you're kind of at least... Yeah, in, not so much in in Dutch art schools. I think it's not such a big part of the in, program. In North American art schools, they dismantle your, your ego, who you are, yeah, like your identity. That, and you, heard, you learn the words and the talk. Yeah. And the, I don't know if it's completely yeah. still like that, but I was completely decimated. And then I had to rebuild myself, which was a, a very healthy thing because even now in a workplace, when I go into a meeting or something, I'm like, okay, like, give me your worst. You know, like, what's worst about this? I'm not sure... It's funny. There are certain ways of working. Yeah. So let's say that uh, the Anglo-Saxon art school model, because I think the UK is the same, uh, is very much built on art rhetoric and talking a certain way. And then everyone who goes through their trauma is like broken down. And then everybody went through the same trauma. So there's a camaraderie. It's like, oh, yeah. we went through this trauma and it was horrible. Architecture schools are like also bo- famous for that. Like boot camp. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks it's a good idea. Because they survived. My, uh, yeah, my art school was not so was wasn't emphasizing that at all, and more maybe color experiments and material experiments, more formal. I'm not so sure if I think the outcome of a, a school that focuses on talking is that a lot of the work becomes illustrations of verbal ideas. Well, the kind of the point, I'm not so sure it's a good idea. But I was gonna like kind of the point I wanted to make, like the build up here, is that if when I was looking at you know, my favorite things of the year and some of the things that were just kind of meh, what I realized the biggest problem this year was that there was nothing 
on my list that was uh, that I was exceptionally excited or angry about. Like sometimes something has to be good. Something actually has to break a lot of new ground and has to be disliked. And dislike seems to be a really bad thing this year. And I was I was just kind of like trying to sit with that. Like, why is dislike bad? I mean, you know, you know, like because in, yeah. in theory and yeah. brand, they say if you're if you're not you need you need to create a love hate. You need people that hate you as much as you need people that love you. But I've noticed this year, especially people really being worried about being hated. And we got you know you know we had certain we have certain customers that that hate us and then certain ones that love us. And I was studying. This it makes thing. me think of of the Apple brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that people love to hate on Apple, but they can't resist it either. Well, one of my favorite you know kind of YouTubers is is this guy that reviews products and he's like, you know, he had a video earlier this year, I think it was like, I'm beginning to hate Apple. And I was thinking like, wait a second, three years ago, everyone also hated Apple. But then there was this moment where they crested through the hate. People hated them for being different. And then people were like, we need something different. And then they were loved. And now they're the norm. And so they're, and they're hated yeah. again. <laughs> and the, f- the funniest thing to me about Apple is that people, at least my friends, always want the new phone, but then they have to justify it in their own head. Yeah. But then when it comes to uh, any other purchase, uh, like maybe you want to buy a friend a really interesting dinner, so everybody chips in, and or you want to do, do a vacation and get a nicer hotel room or rent a nicer car, and you, if you can afford it, then you're like, yeah, let's get the nice thing. It's a better experience. But then when it gets to the phone that you use about 16 hours a day, you're like, no, I don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've also decided, though, that it's really about who is participating. And so, like, there's this guy, Jeffrey Moore, and he writes books about business. And, like, he has this book that I've cited on the podcast so many times called Crossing the Chasm. I highly recommend it. But he talks about the there's this chasm between the early adopter in the early majority. So like, you know, when a new product comes out, there's, you know, the techie kind of, you know, fan goes out and finds it and they're looking for new ways to do things, innovative ways, and they're willing to deal with a lot of bugs and issues. And then, you know, the next group of people is this early majority. And until the early adopter is like, yeah, you can use this, they're like, I'm skeptical. I'm not really sure. And and then there's the majority that follows after that, and they won't even think about it until the early majority, like most people are buying it. And I think I mentioned on the podcast, I bought a Tesla, and I'm probably an early adopter, but like, it's getting close to that early majority. And I'm not ashamed of this car, I'm doing the right thing for the environment, it's more expensive than a regular (laughs) car. But what I noticed driving it around and dealing with it is like, the number of compromises I was willing to make and st- to feel and you know like and to rela- rationalize it with like no no I feel good in this decision was also like kind of imperative for me like um, like I have no way to charge it at home so it's like oh well we could go sit in the charging lot and watch a movie Kristen <laughs> like, and why like, why can't you charge it at home oh because we're waiting for like the charger to be installed or whatever but like so you know like okay. it's this thing where it's like it takes me thirty minutes to charge the car we're obviously in a gas car it would take me five minutes but I'm willing to accept that that compromise yeah and how do you like it so far well i love it but the thing is if i gave it to my my father he would it would be the worst thing i'd ever done it would probably destroy his life like he'd be so confused by it like there's no 
there's almost no interface. It's like it's like in the you know when you see a sci-fi movie and you walk into the you know they walk into a room and it's just like mirrors or something and then you, yeah, you don't know what yeah. gestures to use, you don't know where to press or yeah. what to do. Um it's it's like a so the 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 psychology and sociology of the product is so many years ahead of what we, if you were, you know, 10 years behind in a car that it's just confusing. I, did, I always thought that the the Tesla kind of looks normal from the outside. That was a bit disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Well, except it has no grill. I thought, I th- it kind of looks yeah, like a military I, vehicle. It, <laughs> the inside looks cool. Like it's it's m- much more spacious than you would think because mm-hmm. uh, they don't have to put so much stuff in there. But then the outside is just a sedan. It's, it's they're just trying cra- to be the, the Cybertruck is interesting. It's really just trying to be the IKEA of. Cars. I think that's one thing that I've come to realize. So, okay. And what is, you know, great about IKEA is it's accessible. So it makes something that was inaccessible, quote unquote, like modern design accessible. What's terrible about it is that there are lots. Like it's hard to put together. Like the materials are not like that great. There's little. There's little things that you the, you kind of. I think also getting the car repaired it takes a long time. Well, this is the thing, like, you know, people will say, well, you don't need to get it repaired. But then if you scratch below the surface, of course, eventually things go wrong with it. And things happen. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sure, like, I'm gonna have to update. There's going to be a point where, like, I have to upgrade the computer in it because it's already a little laggy on the screen. Like, they don't tell you that. Like, the screen is not like, it's not like. It's better. not like an iPad. Yeah. It's like a little bit laggy. Yeah. And you're like, mm, I don't know. Is this really the It's feature? a bit Android. Yeah. But I say all of this because, like, looking at. If we're looking at the best, you know, kind of entertainment, you know, art movies of 2020, um, I was having a hard time, you know, finding stuff that wasn't just a rehash of something that already existed. Like to do something <laughs> new, that's why people hate it. That's why they hate Tesla, right? It's new. But like, you know, Friends is probably, you know, is as new as anything else. So like one example was uh, Andy Sandberg uh, had that film Palm Springs, right? And that's just Bill Murray's Groundhog Day, but it's set in yeah. Palm Springs. Like, there's literally very, there's almost no difference between it and Groundhog Day. Well, so it's like, I always thought about it. When you think about it, it's really weird that we make new music and movies because there's so much already. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's so much good stuff out there, and so I tend to dig through history to find really great stuff that's proven the test of time, and uh, that's I like Criterion for that reason. But then you're not really on the pulse of what's going on right now. And maybe if you want to feel the time you're living in, you should be watching the really the Netflix, Amazon type of binge show. And then you're really part of the, 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 the zeitgeist. But I just feel like there's a lot of there's There's so many good movies from many different eras that... Uh, well, I think maybe maybe it just takes a lot of effort to comb through the present. Well, kind of, I think the point, you know, if I was to look at entertainment as a whole, though, this year is in video games, there were some major breakthroughs. And, you know, so film is like... But those are also kind of franchisey. Like, they you know, are, they the, are. The Cyberpunk 27-7 is, is a reboot in video game format of Blade Runner. And a huge disaster worth talking about, actually. There's so much to talk about there. But. Yeah. But actually, like, I just wanted to bring up one one video game that was a surprise hit this year. There are two, but one uh, was Fall Guys, which is um, comes out in, like, seasons. And it's like a competitive game show where you have to, like, you navigate an obstacle course with a really clumsy character. But then they, 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 they proceed to, like, kind of make it seasonal so that there's, it's like a TV show and you're competing in the video game. It's on, like, Steam on PC. But it's very okay. similar in... I was playing... Um, 
Animal Crossing with my niece this morning. And I was like, hey, what's going on? Like, why are they talking about this like Christmas thing? She's like, oh, they throw events and stuff. And then I realized in Fortnite, (laughs) there were all these events being thrown and Fortnite's operating more like a TV show or TV series. You know, so all these games are kind of like are morphing into these like episodic kind of worlds that you're in. Um, Everything subscription. But if you think about it, if reality television, uh, you know, was the last major revolution in television, what was missing from reality television was participation. Like you could vote people off text 101 to vote people off American Idol or whatever, but you couldn't get on stage and sing. And so I think what we're starting to see in video games is this like an era of participation in the programming. Um, This is just a theory, but uh, that that, that could occur. But my favorite video game of the year was very Did you try Apple Arcade? I have uh, it as part of my phone subscription. Did you play any of those games? You know what? I've played a few. Yeah, there's a few good ones. But the problem yeah. is they they release them way too slow. So if you get bored of something, you have to wait like two months for another game. Um, not that okay. you need you could ever play all the games, but like the way games work, I think is the, the just like there are genres in television, there are genres in gaming, and you might not want to play an entire genre. You don't want to wait like a year for the next genre game in that. Yeah, yeah. you know, to come to Apple Arcade, it's ridiculous. Um, did you notice that Netflix added this uh, shuffle button if you just want to watch Netflix and say, yeah, show me whatever? Yeah, that's a great summary of 2020. <laughs> like too much choice of <laughs> just give up. land and just like just feed it to me, just shove it down my throat, you know. But it, it is very interesting that you think uh, AI is going to take over the world and it has taken over the stock market supposedly and mm-hmm. then it will take over entertainment and therefore take over our psyche and still hard to just have an AI generate content and it be compelling, <clears throat> as compelling as Friends. Well, that's my point. But the stock market did take over entertainment this year. Robinhood and here in Canada, yeah. uh, Wealth Simple Trade, these stock trading apps became replaced Las Vegas. And this is, there's a lot of documentation of this. People used it for entertainment this year, which I just find yeah. like just so bizarre. Think about that for a second. I, I, I mean, what I found bizarre is about five years ago that, artist friends of mine were starting to get into investing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so weird because you invest so that you can become financially independent so you can uh, follow your your pursuits of of whatever interests you. That's the goal of being financially independent. Mm -hmm. So you you would think the artist is already there. It's like, okay, I I have my, I made, I turned my hobby into work. And these are people that were living off of their work. They were not, not wealthy, but they, I, I feel like the biggest hurdle is just becoming just, a full-time yeah, artist. It's impossible for some yeah. people, including myself. After that, it's, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's really hard. But, but then they got interested in Bitcoin and other stuff. And then once you start investing, you can't think about art anymore. You're, just like, <laughs> oh, you're either depressed that you missed an opportunity or you're obsessed that you, yeah. upset that you didn't invest enough or it sounds very depressing. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Like if you invested that same dollar in your practice, you'd probably, you know, you get a certain, there's not certainty, but you are in control versus like, it's like going... Well, there's in, certainty that you're spending time on what you wanted to do as a child yeah. and not like, the, because um, there's very different realities of money. There's like, you have kids, you have to feed them, you need money, or there's your bohemian, you're getting by, but you want to be rich just because society has, has put that pressure on yeah, you. Yeah, you want that. Not because you have to. You want that Tesla. 
<laughs> yeah, but yeah. No, and I then think, yeah. and then it becomes like you you're chasing the dollar like everybody else just and you're wondering why and yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, so I think that that is one thing probably for our listeners. I I'm curious, you know, obviously we can't hear from you. Well, ga- gambling I, th- I think I think gambling throughout the, the millennia has been proven to be a, a hack of the human mind. Like you, you give someone a, an upside and a downside and a risk calculation, and they can't resist to, to take the bet. Yeah, and that's why it's 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 been so heavily regulated. Like you can't just have casinos for minors and etc. Like you have to. It's such a deep emotion. Well, this is also my criticism generally as I've gotten older of video games because you know the same thing we were talking about about you know, film and television, trying to get close to reality. You know, the amount of, like, systems they just recreate inside the game world that represent the burdens of the real world will be like, okay, now, I was just in Animal Crossing, and, like, I was like, what's going on, you know, uh, to my niece? And she's like, oh, I gotta pay... I'm I gotta pay, my garden. I gotta pay my mortgage. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah, like, you know, I owe the guy, like, a bunch of money for my mortgage, so I gotta go get some money out of this rock. And I'm like, this is absurd. <laughs> Like, Did you see Ready Player One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not the best movie, but it kind of goes Let's into this. That, yeah, real life is too annoying and depressing, so I'll go into fantasy world. But then there, you have to work just as hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like the fantasy world is real world in like sheep's clothing. You're like you know, let's just make everything colorful. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is also. I, I remember uh, a friend of mine was doing architecture in Second Life at the time. Andreas Angelidakis, so he would build these very strange, dreamlike uh, uh, architecture that's not possible in the physical world, that are floating structures and strange colors. And and he bought land in Second Life, but then his neighbors started to complain because they just wanted a regular neighborhood with a regular sort of suburban house with white picket fence. And then he would have these weird pink zebra towers, and they're like, oh, you're ruining the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it reminds me, my, bro- my brother was an architect, uh, stu- architecture student at Yale, and he nearly got kicked out of the school um, for making too many balloon penis towers. <laughs> like that, like, <laughs> and the like dean at the time was like really kind of... Uh, uh, like I didn't know you, you guys' artistic homophobic. identity was so close. <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah, exactly. You, yeah. I, I, I saw you at 7 on 7 with a balloon penis. It, it's a, it's, first of all, think of timeless things. That is definitely a timeless thing. It goes yeah. all the way back to cave drawings. But um, yeah, so what were some of your favorite things? Well, I, I, obviously, the lockdown and the virus and the pandemic is the biggest thing and, and influenced everything that happened after and all the tension and all the emotion. But when the pandemic started, I was very interested in how this would change life. And I think a lot of people immediately thought like, oh, we're going to reinvent life. And it felt like I had been preparing for this way of living, this sort of behind the screen and independent of yeah. physical location. Yeah, you're ideally suited so for it. I felt ready for it. And then the first few months, I was kind of excited about the experiment. But the last few months, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm over this. <laughs> I, I really want to travel again. I, I want to see friends again. This is too much. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it felt the same for you. but um, Yeah, the last couple of months, I almost feel like I'm my identity is uh, disintegrating a little bit because but, but, so much but, of our but identity the, is built by But the by beginning, 
Oh, the I beginning, to talk I was about totally, the beginning. I, I, okay, beginning, I was totally into the experiment, like entrepreneur in mind. I was like, oh, this is like so much. There's so much Let's room for innovation because it's yeah, problem solving. Yeah. I love pain. Yeah. That pain is pain equals opportunity. And so, yeah, <laughs> like, and I did, I launched some like new projects that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. And I, I was excited to do workshops with people teaching them like how to, you know, I, I actually, even yesterday I was writing up some notes for a blog post on like how to do online studio visits. But at, at the back of my head, I was thinking like, you know what? I don't want to do any online studio visits right now. Like, um, yeah. I really do. I do really want to kind of the parts of the, my art life that you and I shared probably were we could travel to see some of the people we interact mostly with online. Yeah. But we also were so network based that it felt like, uh, Oh, this, this is a a temporary lockdown, which makes physical travel difficult, but we're so screen focused that it suits us. Well, the one thing I found is like at the end of the day, normally I would like engage in making work on my screen or especially on weekends. And because my work day at, you know, my day job was all on screens. My eyes were just like, it was like sandpaper. No more. It was, no, yeah, and I, like yeah. the level of fatigue, and then my body was also like, like I could barely walk. I like honestly, my legs are sore from walking through you know the the street yesterday just to go get a, like a bottle of liquor or something. No, that's not good. Yeah, and I you was should like, jog every day. I know, but I'm like, I don't have time between my because normally between my art practice and work, I would like walk to work or. Bike but isn't to work. that weird? Because you had a commute before, so in theory, you should have more time. No, now? it's just soaked up. The screen soaks it all up. But that's that's the <laughs> that's that the is problem. the weird. That's to me the weird irony of efficiency. But it's that, not efficient. Uh, ev- this is no exactly. Yeah. So you you, with the invention of email, for example, you think like, oh, all that time we spend going to the post office, <laughs> buying an envelope, buying a stamp, handwriting a letter, waiting uh, two days for a reply, we can do that in a second. So we'll have so much free time. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. main thing for me has been that it's. it's and then actually, someone's like, "Email takes too much time. Let's c- go to Slack." And then you never sleep again. Okay, well, running meetings in Zoom, first of all, is not efficient at all. Everyone waits their turn. It's basically like we're all on a CB radio, so it's like we're truck drivers, you know. And we're like, okay, <laughs> break a one nine, <laughs> yeah, like Fox Rock fifty two. This is Rubber Duck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so slow. Some people estimate, I, I was hearing uh, that it's like 30% uh, lost efficiency in communication. Um, and so we, it like, it, you, it's similar to all the Marshall McLuhan stuff we talk about when we're talking about the history of film and television. It's like, you can't simply recreate the old on the new. You have to like no, invent no. new things, but we're just not there. Like, yeah. there's all these weird platforms. Like, well, isn't there the company Basecamp that, that, is it, it you know Basecamp yeah, the yeah, company? Yeah. They have that new email, and they make a, a collaboration software. and And their whole attitude is: you shouldn't have too many voice meetings. You should write long essay like uh, emails that people have to read thoroughly, and then rarely have a meeting. Yeah, but this and is the thing I know. Don't try to recreate the office. I have a school. I run for product management, and we have tried and tried and tried to get people to read. And they don't want to read. They want to watch a pod, like a, a video or listen to a podcast. Like mm. the not that people don't read, but like the amount of okay, it is. I work in an I office am, where we, we produce thousands yeah. of pages of reading material, and we're supposed to read it all. No one is reading it all. Like, stop! This is ridiculous. Uh, like, I and thought it's also Amazon was Amazon. famous. No, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like it's Amazon's whole mantra that the pre-read before the meeting. Everyone sits down yeah. at the start of the meeting, read the thing. This is like every manager's like wet dream. 
<laughs> I know that's a crass term, but like, honestly, the, the idea of it sounds so good on paper, literally, um, but it misses... No pun intended. But it misses the entire genius of innovation, which is the accident. <laughs> How can there be an accident if we all sit down and we write, you know, maybe there's some yeah, grammatical yeah. accidents, but there's very little conversational accent. There's very little collision of ideas when the ideas are in hard copy. And it's very hard to question yeah. hard copy. Uh, what I've noticed but is I, you put I, things in I hard noticed... copy and people are like, okay, that must be fact, you know? Sorry. But I, I, I noticed that... <laughs> Yeah, but I noticed that uh, in theory, I'm like, yeah, reading is better, and et cetera. But then I've been watching a lot more movies than I've been reading novels. Even though I'm working on my screen, I still prefer to watch a movie. Um, and and a lot of times there'll be a lot of tech articles the whole week, and I won't really read them because they're like, oh, there's a, a podcast at the end of the week, and they'll sort of summarize everything in uh, 45 minutes. Well, the most successful thing I did at work this year was a little drawing and it was like a little drawing that conveyed a, a concept. And a, a lot of the work I'm most proud of was conceptual. It was a drawing of a balloon penis? No, it was like a little drawing of a loop. Like, And it was about you know how businesses okay. are built on top of relationships. And this is how businesses grow. When you grow a relationship, you grow a business. And I just drew it. And you know this like idea caught hold virally within the company. And But you know I, I could never, if I wrote that as an essay... It, it just it wouldn't communicate it fast enough. Like th- we cannot continue to like disparage non-written uh, forms of communication. I think it's really dangerous because that's not the only like you need you need different ways of communicating. And a, one huge thing we Man, lost. Tell this that year, to the biennials. Well, the huge the biggest thing we lost this year was the was nonverbal communication, right? Like the nuance of like someone shifting in their chair or an eyebrow that was raised, or just even the smell of stress in a room. Yeah, but it's this is an interesting point. I think there's, in the art world, there's always the dichotomy of the purely intuitive visual experiments and the very heady academic written approach. Mm. And there's a whole gradient Writing in between. Writing is respected so much in, in art. Yeah, so. exactly. And, and uh, to the point where visual art becomes like a book cover for a long written uh, thought experiment in written form. And so the energy of the word is, is uh, the energy of the work is in the text and not in the visual side of the work. Yeah. Which is kind of bizarre because then you're going to the area of political science or sociology and like, if you don't believe in art, why call it art and why work in the art context? I think it's not a belief. I whatever I've you know we've both talked to a lot of folks, and you know often people change trajectories based on like where their strengths lie. And I think some people try to be an artist because they love art, and then they realize actually I'd be better in a role where I analyze or synthesize art. I actually just love art, not making art, right? And so I think writing in art catches a lot of folks that can't make it or or don't or choose not to and which is not a bad thing and we need that analysis and it's part of like uh how we synthesize new ideas sometimes because whole movements have been catalyzed by essays but one thing that i find challenging and i think it doesn't even exist in some realms of academia is that like writing is the only way to catalyze um or capture that moment um 
and that they're well i mean if we're talking about other other media right like yeah you're right like i guess the the film essay became a thing this decade if we were to look back on the decade but like or maybe it even goes back further but like you can it's perfectly acceptable to write an essay on youtube right through just like imagery and uh voiceover mm. yeah, yeah yeah the filmmaking. yeah it's essay, true right? but uh, one thing i find interesting is that there are people who intuitively are more just to make it simple that you either approach art by doing or thinking like mm-hmm. there's just sort of two extremes and then there's a whole area in between and then often the people who are more on the doing side are saying the thinking gets too much respect <laughs> yeah and then the people who are on the thinking side say judgment. oh the 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 doers make all the money like like maybe the difference between uh auction art uh, and like market art and biennial art or curator art and market art and the difference between those and a friend of mine said that the intersection that's the most interesting part where the thinking and doing come together i agree i agree strongly yeah. I, I don't think but it's quite it's quite difficult because a lot of times you're either you're at a show that's just pure visual play and it's you don't know what's going on and you don't feel locked in or you go to a show that's so heady that there's nothing to see and well what's the piece of the year yeah. people are still talking about that goddamn banana taped to the wall the catalan piece right like <laughs> <laughs> that seems absurd. well sometimes the time it's funny sometimes you don't agree with where the world is headed and an artist summarizes where the world is headed so you hate that piece because it's what you it, it's representing something you don't want to happen but it did happen like that is it's pretty amazing the banana let's let's talk about yeah, this banana but, for a second <laughs> but but you could say like oh uh, the, the art fairs are superficial and they're just about yeah. selfies and catching a stupid thing and then increasing its value and blah blah and yeah so, you know, for our listeners who don't know, who doesn't know? Well, maybe they don't. Yeah, maybe if you, you don't if you don't follow art, you know, there, what art fair was it at? The, 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 basically one I of, think Miami Basel. At Miami Basel. Um, uh, I'm not sure. A booth. It was an empty booth except for banana. Yeah, the paratin. Yeah, a banana duct tape to a wall. And even the color combination in some ways, like, has been resonant. I think people have made memes about, like, yellow and gray being the colors of the year because of that that well, piece yeah pantone chose gray and yellow yeah that's right that's right um and the the piece itself was also like caused a stir i think among you know or catalyzed a stir among preservationists who have been struggling i think even with digital <laughs> art because they had to like how do we preserve a banana tape to a wall i mean there are obviously like other um folks like uh, McCartney, who have like challenged the preservation by using foods materials that rot and stuff, or McCarthy, yeah, yeah, exactly, or um, yeah. you know, probably you know before Damien Hirst, yeah, lots of folks have come and gone. Uh, there's a, there's a story where Damien Hirst made this sculpture, and it's it's a huge oversized uh, ashtray filled with regular sized cigarette butts. So it's an ashtray the size of a kiddie pool filled with cigarette butts. And the museum purchased it, and they wanted to put little stickers on each cigarette butt so they could put it exactly back in place where it was. And he's like, guys, just throw the <laughs> fucking things in the basket. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and Warhol uh, famously, of course, like packaged his garbage every day in boxes, um, just things that he collected throughout the day. And they're still yeah. unpack like the Warhol Foundation is still unpacking those boxes 30 years later, trying for, to figure for out me, what to do with if, them. If I had to summarize culture and say that was the year of this and that was, it feels like so much happens at the same time and things also go back at the same time that it doesn't feel there's a clear direction of culture. Well, that's the main thing to discuss about this year though, is like politically maybe, but, but as far as artistic intent and, and yeah, obviously black lives matter and, and the politicization of, of pop culture happened. And you think that there's, I mean, but that was happening before this year. But this year really yeah. like put, put, punched a hole through the, yeah. over the yeah. mass or pop cultural sphere. So that like, yeah. yeah, it's in everything. It's in corporate culture, which is usually the last kind of place to change. Um, yeah, they call it the, the woke as a strategy. Sure. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. even though people have been championing these things, like I noticed personally, like having been part of many committees over many years trying to create change. And then suddenly it was like, well, why didn't you tell us about this <laughs> You know, it's like, so, you know, it created a lot of aw- awareness. Um, whether change has happened yet, I don't think we're, we're quite, the, you know, anyone would say we're that's, quite there That's yet. the weird thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's odd to reflect on films, but there were way more films made by um, people from different backgrounds, which I think is positive this year. Um, and that, that will probably continue. The, you know, there's stuff like even yeah, Aaron Sorkin sure. making, you know, stuff like the Chicago 7. So way more like political drama and discussion of like the flaws yeah. of politics well I, I, it feels like the the culture was behind on that one that if you maybe it's because i live in new york but you're just so used to seeing a diverse crowd everywhere mm-hmm. and if you don't see that reflected in media that's really weird yeah yeah well absolutely yeah you're just like who is this yeah. for i mean but honestly it usually reveals something about how capitalism is socially constructed the you know so like if the bureaucracy is built by a certain bunch of people they're the people writing the checks they're going to ask for yeah. what they know what they feel comfortable with whenever i feel uncomfortable my first instinct obviously is to feel bad about myself but then i have to think about like why do i if it's <laughs> if it's because of someone else i have to think why do i feel yeah. uncomfortable well maybe it's because they're making me feel like i can't be me and I, and I obviously know tons of you know people who feel this way every day, and a lot of our listeners too. And the likelihood is it's not you. It's the structure that you're surrounded with. It's the people who are telling you you're not who you who they are, which is like anyway, but I, that's why I still feel video games and the internet in the original, like our cultural genesis is one of like, it's about creating, not about consuming, which is what's the, the, the major irony of this podcast. Um, because ultimately, um, anyway, for me in my life, it was like not playing the video game. It was like making the video game or video yeah. games where I could yeah. make something in it. And then that became art making. And then we're reviewing movies that other people make. Yeah. But, you know, what is what is the, our creative role within all of the media that gets created. I think maybe I'm hitting a point where it's like, I don't want to see, you know, another Borat film. I already saw it like 10 years ago or, um, and that was what, you know, one of the films that was, you know, new and exciting or there's well, two Chappelle specials. I do think movies, year. movies are at a, uh, what do you call it? Like a, it's such a big shift in distribution. Yeah. 
it, it it's been happening like uh, movie theater attendance has been declining and now it's about zero uh, by accident nobody predicted it but it was an accelerant and so yeah. I think I was listening to either Kara Swisher or the Verge a podcast with uh, one of the guys from HBO Max or Time Warner or whatever and they're like yeah pretty soon movie budgets will be around a billion that's what we're he- where we're headed at that's that's the direction things are going. Like, yeah. think of how compelling no, and thrilling it, it can be now. And I, I think yeah. all things will be driven towards zero, and that's what like prosumer content is. Like, YouTube, but but YouTube if your movie costs a, a billion to make, how risky can you be? Well, I mean, I guess the debate is whether there's room for big budget. Like, it's really we've talked about this before. Like, is there an opportunity for the spectacle? Right, the society of the spectacle. Yeah. Does it still exist, or are we looking for? niche-based spectacles like podcast realm would indicate that actually we're heading more and more towards like narrower and narrower slices and there's no but at the same time people listen to a few podcasts that everybody listens to well like Kristen listens to top 100 like billboard chart music and i'm always like why are you listening to this and she's like (laughs) well i want to know what you know i like i like this stuff and i like everyone's feeling yeah this is like the zeitgeist and i'm always like oh okay interesting i don't like these songs right but like i can you know some of them are actually are great and sometimes there's interesting stuff that punches through but it it's almost like maybe all of this comes down to like the friends thing we talked about it's just looking for the meditative hum this year especially more than anything else just like yeah give me something i know you know don't challenge i'm yeah well for, for yeah for me personally it's been a year where many years i've tried to watch criterion and this year i succeeded yeah yeah because yeah, it's it, it was always like the gym membership that I wasn't using, and this year I really watched a lot of stuff on it. So. And we reviewed a lot of those things. <clears throat> and I have my, yeah. my Criterion collection, too, and it's a good reminder. I do miss the movie theater. Yeah, big. I went to one movie theater this year to see Tenet. This, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But it, this is the year I realized, you know how normal life we complain about a lot of things? Like, oh, this the music at the restaurant is too loud, and this will be the year where you go back to a restaurant and it's like, Oh, thank God. I love restaurants. I love going for a coffee somewhere and just being somewhere else. Thank you. Yeah, just the ambience of being somewhere else. And I think a lot of films were delayed until next year. So I don't know what's going to happen, whether they'll just be like... Well, Time uh, Warner Brothers decided to release everything on HBO Max, so they're not even going to wait for theaters anymore. So it it seems like it's headed that way, that people have big TVs at home and uh, see movies on the streaming... I think... Disney announced they're going to release uh, 500 different movies in 10 years, uh, of, uh, like Mandalorian spin-offs, 10 different ones. and. But then God it just seems what. like, um, again, another argument for the distribution and like pushing down. It, it sounds a lot like the fast food world where they start to compete with the size. It's like, oh, you can get 12 pieces of chicken for 80 cents at our place. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think... The interesting thing for artists, I think, is that you're increasingly competing for attention among like these studios and things like that, right? Like everyone is like the. I've always often I've often thought about this. Cause well, I was not only you, you, but I think you're not only competing with the audience, but also you're competing your own attention to turn off the the screen and uh, or whatever it is you use and focus on your work, which gets harder and harder. Well, yeah. 
yeah, and I, artists are in this weird position where they supposedly are in control of their own time, and then. Uh, well, the internet was supposed to be this user-generated revolution, but you know, and at first you could really stand out, and you know, like a lot of people will tell me, like it's so much easier for small business today than it was ten years ago. And I was like, what are you talking about? The to- the geographic monopoly is dead, and so everyone competes <laughs> on a global stage, and they're competing against yeah, some of the yeah, richest yeah. companies in all of history. And, you know, like and to, to, ha- to get onto Google and to be noticed on Google, you have to specialize to such a degree that no big business would ever even consider, you know, going to where you go. Like, you have to be like the gardener who only grows rare Japanese fungus <laughs> and like, you know, and, and yeah. for... Com- in upstate, in upstate New, York. New York. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to you're gonna be able to build a business online. Yeah. Um, whereas before... Yeah, it's like, oh, know, I'll start a bento delivery service. Yeah. Like, well, there's a million other and ones. And if you go back 200 years, what was the most successful business? It was probably the general store, right? So we went from the general store or the mall, you know, which mm. began the mall, to now you have to be like a bespoke, like uh, Oaks crafts person <laughs> who yeah. makes cloth. I do have to say, it's kind of insane how good amazon is at what it does yeah it's just nothing else like everything else is slower and i'll I'll go to stores and they never have what you want and the service is terrible there's no people that can help you uh you have to go to five different stores it's just well their biggest threat is i don't know how their biggest threat is a company called shopify who said like okay we'll do it the opposite way yeah 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 and we'll but i'm talking about you in your personal life like yeah when you need supplies for your home, how do you go about it? No, I often I will often use Amazon because I'll go to the hardware store and they won't have what I need. And then, exactly, that's and what I mean. They're like, like, we could call it, we could order it Tesla. in. And I'm like, you could order it in. How about I order it on my phone right now? It's like, that's literally <laughs> yeah. happened to me. No, but 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 what I mean is like we can talk about the death of the general store and the the sense of community that's lost and the sense of opportunity, but. Um, when you think about it, why would you have a room in an expensive city where you sell toilet paper? I think because of what you mentioned about Criterion. Because, it, like, so in a realm of infinite choice, yeah, but the choice itself is the burden of. The- yeah, yeah, but there's there's there, there's leather shoes or or and fashion or things like that that are specialized. Like, okay, you don't need Amazon for that, but toilet paper and Clorox wipes and. Uh, toothbrushes i mean i i there's not even a cool neighborhood store in my neighborhood so i went to target to get toothbrush heads the ones for the electric toothbrush Mm -hmm. and i think it the price was really outrageous something like 35 dollars for three of them yeah i always buy the one and and it was maybe four and it was like it was four times cheaper on amazon than at target and they deliver it to you yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. kind of what, what, as much as I would, I'm worried about monopolies and whatever. But you like, this well, you're, is, never, you're never going to find the un, find the underground punk band on Amazon like that's doing fringe, you know, new yeah. music or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, the, at the end of the day, this all comes down to um, our argument earlier, which is, um, yeah, things everything becomes the the same, you know. It, it, when, if you appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. It's like my favorite yeah. thing, yeah. and it's the ultimate tension. And I think that is what hangs in the social balance right now. I think I will. That's I will have a bit about. of a counter argument there. Go for it. I, I will have it. Um, as I grew up, um, 
before the internet, if I wanted to find music, I had to go to special record stores and maybe even travel to another country to find rare records. Mm-hmm. So I would go to London or Paris and like, oh, wow, they have this record that I'd been looking for. But my taste was very narrow. It was like hardcore, punk, and metal, and only that. And then once MP3s kicked in, and especially when streaming kicked in, you can just jump from genre to genre without any financial commitment and listen to everything. And my mind really expanded. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a great argument. Uh, I found a lot of rare music, even on YouTube, that's not available physically anymore. Um, and maybe I don't use exotic brands of toilet paper, but I'll just jump from music to music and find weird traditional music from different countries and rare recordings and well, I was listening. either SoundCloud yeah. or, or uh, uh, you find weird stuff on, on all kinds of music social networks. And so I, I do think if you use music as an example, my, my taste is broadened a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I I was putting out the. I think this is just like these are dichotomies that are going to persist. <clears throat> They're just like bipolar. Uh, but maybe of, what what you're getting running into is the there's the idea that uh, a lot of people find their style in their teens and then stick with it. So whether it's music or video games or fashion, because they run out of time when they're older to discover new stuff. But I just have a lot of time, so all day I'm just kind of surfing music. I think you would be right, except that like the algorithm is starting to change that probably. Um, and then I guess yeah. you know we could get into a long debate about. Well, one the one of my of sources to find music is uh, the record store Amoeba has a YouTube channel where they interview bands, what they listen to, and then because they're musicians, they're very deep in certain genres or the obscure recommendations. And then I go find those, and then go to Wikipedia, and then find. Oh, that the person in the band also had another band, and etc. And they, they made this record, and they produced a record for another band, and etc. And so, I don't think that's so algorithmically driven. Yeah. Well, I wanted to just get to this because I wanted to be able to ask you, like, hey, what was your, you know, your favorite film or your favorite TV show of the year? Um, well, and- my favorite podcast is this one. Is this one? <laughs> yeah. This well, is the then best that, that's my inter- yeah. my interaction argument fulfilled not everyone can be on this podcast yeah um no well my favorite um piece of entertainment i thought i was gonna say it was like half-life alex which is a vr game that captivated me early in the pandemic but honestly i only made it halfway through so i feel like it would be disingenuous but in favor of my argument i would choose it as the most compelling form of new entertainment that i had an experience with this year it's pretty incredible um and it made like VR f- make kind of sense to me um, as like a future format for, you know, it just has like prior to now it's been like mini games, you know, like when Nintendo comes out with a new console, it come, you know, they bundle it with a bunch of mini games or something. That's what VR felt like until this year. Yeah. This year VR like became consumer friendly. And then this one game, Half-Life Alex, actually kind of was the first VR game to really I could have a conversation with people about it. So I thought that was worth calling. Uh, how, how much time do you spend in VR? Me personally, like it's like once a month, it's just too exhausting, like physically exhausting. <laughs> so do you think it will, will ever become uh, compelling enough that people will spend about an hour and a half a day there? I think for certain segments of people, it already is. I know people who are working, you know, in VR, whose practices exist in VR. Um, and for those people, it, it makes sense. I don't know. 
if it'll transcend. The argument has been economic up until now. So we'll see with the new Oculus um, Quest. But it 2. doesn't have that natural natural attraction that the smartphone had from the beginning. No, because it, the one thing that's true of all success is you can't make someone physically uncomfortable. <laughs> like if you built a car and the people are like, you know, bouncing around and they're 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 in pain, you know, that's like what a lot of sports cars are like. It's just not going to and it's expensive. It's it's not going to be successful. It's going to appeal to a narrow yeah. niche. But if you can make like a Cadillac that's like, you know, 20 grand and everyone feels great and we can go to the beach together. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, same thing yeah. for art. Like, if you make art, forever promise like, tortures your your audience, but you know, like challenges them. <laughs> you know, a narrow yeah. niche of people are going to write about it and love it. But if you know, you can find a way to make it enjoyable, I'm even more people will, will like it. So, I think VR is near that place where it could be enjoyable to a broader swath. I don't know if it'll ever be fully like a smartphone. A start, smartphone is like just so enjoyable, mind you. I, yeah, I just remember. Uh, not needing a smartphone and being like, ah, I don't need that stuff. And then going on a road trip with a friend, and I was like, hey, can I look this up? Hey, can I look that up? And I was just holding his phone the whole time. And at some point, I'm like, wow, this this shit is amazing. <laughs> you're on, and you're on the mini now, too, right? Like the new iPhone mini. Oh, yeah. That one I love. Yeah. Yeah, Kristen has it, Are you too. on the Max? Uh, yeah, I'm all Max all the time. <laughs> yeah. I need that Max screen. But it also For is me, a very uncomfortable it, phone. It actually cuts yeah. into my hand. It's pretty horrible. <laughs> Like, because they, they, the uh, design is aesthetic, but it's like, you know, these like hard edges. It's not ergonomic. Yeah. yeah. So I love how it looks, but I hate how it feels. Do you regret upgrading? No, no, I, know, I have no regrets. So. <laughs> okay. No, for me, the cultural uh, high point uh, was the, the two films. I saw three films of Hermano Olmi, the Il Posto and the Tree of Wooden Clogs. That we reviewed. Both those. Year, I, yeah. yeah. And uh, those really stuck with me and... I like the mood and the execution and the, uh, they they feel very honest. I don't know if they are, but they feel like an honest portrayal of life. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I we were you hated it, but I did enjoy Portrait of a Lady on Fire that we reviewed on the podcast this year. Uh, it is a film that stood out. Um, so. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> Emma, did we talk I about Emma? It. That was another good one. Um, Chappelle did a bunch of. Uh, performances that I put near the top of my list. Ah, uh, yeah, stand-up. What stand was good stand-up this year? Yeah. The, the nope. Stand-up is, has been a challenge this year. No no comedians in cars getting coffee, which we always enjoyed because it's like our our podcast if we were actually famous comedians. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we reviewed I Loved Fireball by Werner Herzog. We didn't actually review that on the podcast, but that, that's, mm-hmm. um, that came out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hope... Yeah, I, my hope... My my true hope is that where politics like people are just sick of it and we just uh, have more fun. Well, I think that progress can be fun. That you know that that's my point of view. You know that I th- I think that that's yeah. the the huge opportunity and that's built on trust. And so if we can build some level of trust that we all want to go in a direction, like if we could not beat not beat each other up. Yeah, but I I, I want to get to that point. I don't know if we ever will, where. Uh, we're so f- we've made so much progress with inclusivity that we don't have to talk about it. Sure, yeah. I mean, we're we're in fact we're we're all just what we call, what I think people refer to as like at the same dance together. You know, where we're so yeah. f- comfortable that we can dance in front of each other. That's often like 
for me, that is the quintessential feeling if I'm trying to tie it to emotion. Like, you know, when you go to a wedding and it's like kids are on the dance floor, like granny's on the dance floor, you know, hipsters yeah, nobody are on the has dance to be floor. Cool. And we're all listening to yeah. like the worst music and having the time of our lives. That's uh, that's got to be what we, we strive for. It's <laughs> just yeah. like it's just too good a feeling. There's always like someone yeah. in the corner, some cynical person is like, weddings suck. And you're like, come on, man. weddings <laughs> don't suck. Look at look at this. Like try and create yeah, artwork yeah. better than this. Yeah, it reminds good. me of that scene in the, the Wedding Singer with the Adam Sandler and he's all depressed and he's like, <laughs> telling everyone in the audience, you'll never find someone and you're too horrible and nothing good will ever happen. And then uh, things turn out great. That's the story of Palm Springs as well, which I mentioned the the Sandberg film. Did you watch that movie? No, no. Did, well, you, might did like, you? you might like it. Even though it's a rehash of Groundhog Day, it ma- it mixes the wedding yeah. singer with Groundhog Day, basically. I think the okay. mashup or that kind of like algorithmic mashup is going to exist. Um, and that's just postmodernism. I'm just going to say it. Like that's going to exist, you know, for quite some time. I did see. Well, it just, it just reminds me of fast food, like. Mm. That every now and then there's a new chain and they reinvent the hamburger. Well, apparently, you know, I was reading an article that Oreos has done 75 different like flavor combination of Oreos, like, and they're often like pop culture Through inspired. The like, there's the, the in the last, yeah, they invented it starting in 2012, but like this year they came out with like 25 new flavors. One of them was like a Lady Gaga flavor of Oreo, and this is their whole marketing strategy now. Um, but I think that's what you're mm. talking about, which is like it's the featuring, you know, rap combo where it's like Lil Wayne yeah. with you know Lil Uzi together on <laughs> this Lady Gaga <laughs> compilation starring featuring yeah. you know level up there's a really good SNL sketch where they introduce a rap song and the, the introduction takes so long because there's so many <laughs> yeah. guest stars and then the the song doesn't even start so how are we going to end this year we have this like huge burden we're over time well, we, we cheated a little bit because the year hasn't ended yet. But uh, mm. I, I do remember already when uh, it was announced that Biden was elected, feeling this calmness. And uh, a lot of people talking about it, it's like, oh, I hope we don't have to think about politics so much this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for Biden, for sure. And, Ka- and Kamala, too. I think, you know, the vaccine is going to be great entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> Well, there will be a lot of drama. People will be like, oh, I can't believe these people are not taking it. And what, if, what if the vaccine also comes with a kind of, you know, some additional, you know, kind of genetic mutations that alter our perception of reality? That would be awesome. Well, that's what people worry about. <laughs> I, I'm just hoping it comes with a certificate and then you're allowed to travel anywhere. Yeah, well, here's the first thing we're going to do. You and I, we're going to get on a plane to Tokyo. We're going to have our long overdue yeah, Tokyo exactly. reunion. I can't wait. Well, my show in Tokyo is supposed to be in June. Let's do it. I'm, I'm ready. I've got the yeah. check. Book but out. we have to see about the if we can get the vaccine before that date and then uh, whether we're allowed it to the country. I know. That's, it's going to be in. It's gonna, yeah. this, is the, this is the drama of the year. This is the movie to look forward to. It's like, <laughs> can we get to Tokyo? Will they make June? it? Yeah. yeah. Will they make it? That is going to be the time of our lives for sure. <laughs> do you have. Any idea of uh, how long vaccination will take before they get to your age group? Um, well, in Canada, they're saying by June, everyone, or sorry, by September, any, but they're saying by June, and then like they'll be finished by September. But by June or by summer, anyone who is eligible will have access. So if you want it, you can get it. 
And we okay. have we've bought, but we've bought more vaccine than any country per capita. Like there's ten vaccine mm. purchases per person in Canada. Do but okay. we don't have any of them yet. It's like these are future orders. So it's really on like yeah. you know whether they produce enough and whether enough of these things get yeah. approved and yeah. I can't. And, uh, how do you feel about the future of the office and office life? Yeah, that is a huge, huge question mark and another. You but know, drama but you personally, there. like, what what would be the ideal scenario for you? I just I just kind of want to I want to go back to collaborating with colleagues at work. I, I am. But every I day, like five days a week. Here's what's going to happen: that there's people like me, and there's people who never wanted to do that in the first place. And I respect both points of view. But I think there's going to be a major cultural sort of um, chasm that opens between types of companies and some companies are going to start to appeal to hey mm. you want to yeah, be in yeah, person yeah. and then others are going to, to be the not. introvert companies and the extrovert companies and a huge like, number of people are going to say fuck it all i'm going to start my own business i, I can guarantee you that in a huge way um and already last year small business it's starts. like we're a company for hermits well, yeah. well small business starts in america were up over 44 last year so we're, we're just going to see a huge shift in in what work is, and it's like I said earlier, it's going to be massively more distributed. That's But the for, trend. For you personally, you just want to go back to forty uh, hour work week, everybody at the office, and uh, and and have a party every now and then, and social events. No, I think nudge nudge wink wink. I might be one of those people that wants to recreate work their way for themselves, you know. And I think a lot of people want, you know, I I, I don't want to sit on a call with twenty five other people. Yeah, um, that's just not going to well, be the, how I do. Well, this it. is something we didn't mention on the podcast, but uh, we had been brainstorming about starting an alternative art school for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Mine was maybe selfish, where I thought these poor students are paying sixty thousand a year for a mediocre education, and what if we charge ten percent of that? And and we were talking about it, the the pros and cons of teaching, and uh, etc. And But then a friend of mine mentioned, he's like, do you really want to be on Zoom all day? And I was like, no. <laughs> well, that's what teaching is like now. So Yeah. So definitely don't want that. I think we'd have to do something where, yeah, it's post-lockdown. And we, I think, like I said, the, the currency is going to be presence. So we would probably create some kind of exclusive presence thing. Even before the lockdown, this was already a thing. I have a friend who's an entrepreneur. She has like a, a box subscription company where they, she sends you a box of like cosmetics every month or a huge hit yeah. but she's mostly doing entrepreneurial kind of like appearance stuff and her biggest product last the year before lockdown was like a, you know spend a weekend in Cabo with like entrepreneur women's weekend you know and I think that that type of thing was already getting more popular because we felt more disconnected by the internet so it's going to be like a mm. wildfire of like spending time yeah, yeah, in yeah. different locations around I, travel is going to bounce back in my opinion like you've never seen it before well people are arguing that business travel will be won't come back to the level it was yeah because they can get away with less so that's fine like we know what capitalism yeah. wants to do wants to reduce costs and in, increase value yeah. right so unless there's a value equation, and and in this case that would be aligned with the environment so that, that yeah sure it's like bad. it's win-win it looks great on a corporate ledger But for the average human being consumer, the person that wants to live life and experiences, experience economy, I think is going to explode. Like Airbnb went public, what, last week? Um, that is going to be a stock to invest in, I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah.
if you haven't already, let's get on that entertainment. <laughs> but um, <laughs> because it's it's human nature, like, and you, I don't know if there's if you can counteract, you know, evolution because of a pandemic. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, but that that when you go back to counteracting human nature, it feels like I imagine uh, if I look at. Uh, Christina's office like a lot of people moved away from New York because it's so expensive so they're like let's try living upstate yeah, for a year or somewhere else for weekend trips in New York to go shopping or something I don't know yeah but what I imagine is they go back to office life where you go to work two days a week mm-hmm. and you have meetings and half the people are on a screen and half the people are actually there but then the most interesting conversation happened after the meeting, when you walk out the door and you're talking to each other and you have this synergy and the people that were on Zoom are not a part of that. Yeah, that's, that happened and before. And I think after, I think after two, three years, it's just clear, like, if you're not there, you're not there. But that's why even before the pandemic, there are two types of companies. There were ones that, that went full remote and then ones that went half and half and the half and half sucked. Yeah. So the half in the half and half companies, people who were remote were always complaining that they were being left out. So that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, it yeah. might result but, in But what I mean is like yeah. a lot of people already made the physical decision to move. And once you move out of the city, it's really hard to go back. Yeah. I mean, but people did that in the 1950s too, in 60s. And they invented it and that yeah. shifted. Yeah, that's the know, whole culture. plot of Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. there'll be a bunch of affairs that happen and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The ends of, yeah. yeah. But I heard, I read an article Weight that people are already thinking about, like, how do we get back into the city? So um, it'll be, it'll be different, no doubt. But some things yeah. will stay true, I think, which is like human connection. It's not going anywhere. Like, well, it's, it's also when you, when, when you haven't found your life partner yet, then there's a lot more opportunity in the city. Well, yeah. I mean, there's literal, like, you know, body on body. <laughs> like, people who are dating right now are miserable. <laughs> You can ask anyone. Yeah. Um, this is a miserable well, yeah. time to be single. They're isolated. Yeah. You know, I was, I was talking to a colleague who. Moved uh, in, I, I feel partner. like as I get older, if I look, it's, it, I think that's the Seinfeld thing where when he was doing the show, everyone was single and he couldn't imagine being married. And once you're married, you can't imagine being single. But objectively, it seems like the last four years, dating has become very uh, traumatic and uh, stressful. It doesn't seem fun at all. Yeah, and it already prior, like, you know, with dating dating apps, which had been viewed as this euphoric, <laughs> ended up being this, like, totally horrible thing. It for- always starts with, like, what if we make it easier and more accessible? <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, how could we ruin this? Um, I just feel yeah. so lucky that, yeah, I, you know, for the life that I've had and, and led up until now. And it's weird because when you're younger, you're like, your parents would talk about how much better their life was with they were your age and then you know there's obviously the cliche of i walked to you know school in 10 feet of snow or whatever but most things they would be nostalgic for and you're like how do you how could you have lived without like 100 channels or whatever and it's because they lived with like these incredible conversations with friends (laughs) well i remember asking my dad because he he grew up on a farm without any devices because it wasn't even sounds like a retreat you mean a retreat (laughs) yeah and and I was like, weren't you guys bored? What would you do? He's like, what are you talking about? We had so many chores. We're just exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah there was no time to re- uh, relaxing. Just meant going to sleep. Still, one of the highlights of my life, I think, is meeting you in New York and going to uh, going to um, you know one of your um, 
BYOBs, and I, I came in, and you're ah, like, yeah, yeah. you're like, let's get out of here, and we just like walked the street yeah. to Chelsea. And yeah, 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 that was fun. It's just like there's these. Was that when moments. we first met? Yeah, it's around the same time. We met on a street corner in Brooklyn. Because I remember we had a breakfast in a in Brooklyn, like a Airstream. Airstream that was converted into a diner. Oh yeah, the, the one yeah. where we couldn't remember if it was under the Williamsburg Bridge, or the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, it was. In yeah. The, yeah, yeah, that was at Diner. The restaurant's called Diner. Yeah, exactly. But but um, I thought BYOB was a very clear example of the the joy of the physical energy, but also because you knew each other from the internet already. I just yeah the energy. So I imagine I, I imagine next year will be really fun because there's all this pent up energy. We got to do a BYOB maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a friend that if I had had the idea for BYOB now in 2020, I probably wouldn't do it just out of fear of, of uh, being attacked for not doing something right. But I think it's actually the spirit of it, which is to bring people f- together from all over. Yeah, but if time. if you th- but th- I'm saying whatever the reason, but if someone wants to attack, it's like, well, you were insensitive about this topic. You didn't include that person. No, and no, I would, no. my my instinct would just be like, I don't think I'm going to bother with curating. Yeah, but I think the whole thing is it's distributed curating. So you were way ahead on that. I I, I would give yourself yeah. more credit. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it can still work, and we're going to do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, all uh, right. I don't know. This is a, this has been a roundup episode. Sloppy but fun, and a look back. And there's so much more to talk about, but so much. Hopefully, uh, that gets better and changes. And I don't know for us for next year's roundup, it'll be interesting to see in contrast. It hasn't been the worst yeah. thing. We've learned a few things about each other, about the world, but what we like and dislike. Yeah, I, I hope uh, yeah. it's it's okay for most people, but the statistics are not fun. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, in some, you know, we started doing the movie reviews in part because we thought it would be comforting to people during this difficult year. And so, um, you know, maybe we shift again, who knows, um, if, if this kind of comfort, it's not needed a different kind of comfort is needed. Yeah. Next year it's only game, game cheats. (laughs) It's just game. It's just like, we call it the game genie podcast, only game cheats for 1990s video games. Uh, and yeah. you have to buy a cartridge to listen. Cheat codes. That's our revenue mode. And <laughs> we broadcast the, the cheat codes and you have to tape them. <laughs> to unlock the real content, which comes to you via yeah. Nintendo Switch. Anyway, uh, you probably exactly. just heard my, sc- my stomach grumble. It's time for lunch here. Um, all right. Well, thanks all right. Uh, to everyone who's listened. And, and, and um, hopefully your year has had a few highlights amid the misery, as, as ours. And thank you for listening this whole time. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. See you next year. See you next year. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.